the brain has to be super efficient because it, it absorbs a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to do what it does. And because it's efficient, it starts to take shortcuts or, you know, behavioral scientists will call, um, it will employ heuristics, mental shortcuts to draw conclusions that you then base decisions on. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another week of the Tea Please podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and welcome to the holiday season. We just got back from Kansas to Colorado today because we were back in Kansas for Thanksgiving week. My parents live in like the suburbs of Kansas City, and then Taylor, my husband's family, live out side of Wichita, Kansas, so way further west. Um, lots of like farmland and what you would typically think of when you think of Kansas if you're not from there. Um, but we usually split time for the holidays. So for Thanksgiving and Christmas, we split time at both places. So we spent the first half of the week at my family's house in Kansas City and then the second half of the week in um, Wichita with Taylor's family. This year has been exceptionally busy for us, so I feel like it's been harder for me to get into the holiday spirit. I haven't really been as aware of like Christmas coming up, and normally I'm listening to Christmas music like before Thanksgiving and feeling a little bit more festive earlier, but I think just with so much going on, we're just a little bit distracted, so I didn't feel it as much, so it was really nice to just be able to rest for the week, spend time with family, and really get in the mood for the holiday season because I really want to lean into the holidays because I love the holidays. I have always loved them. I think they're a very magical time. I mean, the twinkly lights, the ornaments. I love the festive feeling and it's just like a feel-good season. So I don't know why people don't want to lean into that sometimes, but especially with how busy we are, I just want to try and stop and pause and enjoy some of the the holiday treats and funness that the season brings and really let that be my intention this season because like I said it is very very busy we are hopefully moving into our duplex investment property that we have at the end of this month slash beginning of January and then we'll be going back to Kansas for Christmas so we're really only here for like three weeks And then we have like a whole bunch of stuff going on at the end of the month and into the new year. Um, So that is what I'm dealing with. And I really don't want to get more worked up than I have to about all of the change and new things that are coming because I can get that way sometimes. Okay, anyway, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts on the road trips to and from Kansas like a nine hour drive if I'm going to my parents house and then it's about a seven and a half hour drive from Taylor's place so lots of time for podcasts and I was listening to Michelle Reed's podcast Um, her podcast is called but what's next but she's a youtuber that I've been following and watching her videos for a few years now and she did highs and lows in her most recent episodes and I was like dang that's pretty cheesy but I'm also finding myself like very interested in what she had to say so I was like I want to do a high and low as well for this last week and my high I would say was definitely the family time and just the activities that we got to do with family um I went to Top Golf for the first time with my parents, and then we went on a lot of bike rides. My mom and I, they have these electric bikes, and um, 
we just take them around everywhere and I try and ride them as much as possible when we're back there because they're so fun. So we went on like four bike rides. I think we went every single day. And then we played a lot of board games in the evenings. And then at Taylor's house, we rode horses, which I have not been on a horse in a very long time since I spent time living in Peru. And that was like not a good experience. So this is a much better one. And his mom has three horses. So it was really fun to be able to do that out in the country. And then um, we spent Thanksgiving out at their grandparents' farm and got to ride four-wheelers and just spend a lot of quality time with family on that side. So that was definitely the high. Lots of family, lots of activities. And then my low for last week, I would probably say is just like the underlying stress level that I feel. Again, like going back to what I just said about being super busy, that's part of it. But then just taking time out of the office, I was able to take the whole week, which I'm really grateful that I was able to do. Um, It was just hard for me to do mentally because the first three days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I just found it very hard to unplug and not check on things or make sure that everything was running smoothly because I was just feeling nervous about my work that I needed to pass on while I was out. And um, so just noticing that like those delegation skills are a little bit hard for me. And um, I just felt like it was harder for me to unplug this last week than it normally was when we're home for the holidays. And I think it was really just because we have so much going on and I would just feel a little anxious about all the moving pieces of our lives right now. It's all for the greater good of our future. And I know it's going to pay off um, when we get there, but stuff is busy right now. How many times can I say that I'm really busy in an intro? Probably too much. So I'm going to stop and tell you about our guest for this week's episode because you are really going to like her. Um, This episode is very much about mental health, but it's also about making decisions. So we have Mika Kabiri with us today, and she is a decision science specialist. So she has spent over two decades studying how people make decisions in different contexts so from like business to politics to relationships to habits um, her work and her research has been featured in yahoo news la weekly she has contributed to the huffington post inside sources the hill and she also has a book and she is currently a faculty member at the university of washington and she teaches decision science there And she also has her PhD in sociology from the University of Washington. So she's pretty amazing and has some really cool perspective on mental health and what has worked for her. Um, Getting into this episode, I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning here. We talk about obviously mental health. We talk about depression. That's nothing new. But we also talk about suicide in this episode. And um, just want to give you a heads up about that. Nika is very, very honest with her experience. And I love this conversation for that. And I feel a little bit nervous to put something out there. Like I to have a trigger warning, I'm just feeling like, Maybe that's too much is kind of my initial feeling in my body that I have. But ultimately, I think nothing is going to resonate with every single person. And my hope is that Nika's research and her personal story really does help someone, whether you have had those thoughts in the past or whether you didn't have such extreme thoughts. But I'm sure that you can relate if you deal with anxiety and depression 
All of that to say, there's some sensitive topics in this episode and just want to let you know that ahead of time so you can decide if that is something that you are feeling up for today. And if not, that is totally fine. So while Nika does have this academic experience, lots of time research and very like data driven, she is really personal with us on this episode, which honestly I wasn't super expecting, but I was very, very happy that the conversation went where it did. And I really think that it's valuable and that you'll get something out of it no matter where you are you have a brain, then this will help you in some way and hopefully um, give you a different perspective to maybe reframe some things in terms of decision making and habit forming and how we can really level up by bringing awareness and attention to the decisions that we make and kind of like what goes into the decision making process. It's cool. Go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if that is where you're listening. And if you're not, definitely just make sure you're following wherever you're listening. Um, That's the easiest thing you could do. If you don't want to leave a review right now, make sure you're at least following so you never miss an episode. And with that, let's get into this week's episode with Nika Kabiri. To kick things off, I kind of framed this podcast to you in a way that lets you know that we're all about mental health. We talk about mental health a lot, and that's something that you have mentioned before in your journey to discovering decision science and really deep diving into it. So I'm so curious like what the connection was for you to be looking at your mental health and then find that this like concept, science, whatever you want to call it, has helped. I, in my early 20s, was going through a really, really tough time, to say the least. Um, I was experiencing, I don't know, things that I really, I still maybe don't understand perfectly well, but I know my my therapist at the time had diagnosed me with PTSD, which, you know, you know, it's always a surprise. I'm like, what? I have this yeah. thing. And I realized, I didn't realize at the time, but I realized later looking back that despite what my situation was, what my diagnosis might have been, what my condition was, I was unable to pull myself out of it because I kept making decisions that were um, being swayed by my condition that kept almost keeping me in that situation. Were they like um, big decisions or were they small like micro decisions in your day? Micro micro decisions like almost all of them were micro decisions the only big decisions i made at the time were go to therapy or don't go to therapy Mm -hmm. you know take this med or don't take this med and it was really more like the the smaller decisions i mean here's a basic one everyone can relate to this one just i had gone you know experienced a lot of depression in my younger years going for a walk just even getting up and going for a walk is a micro decision Mm -hmm. like just walking for 10 minutes and it could have made all the difference in the world instead of choosing that I made the choice to revert to habit and spend time with, say, a friend who preferred to go to a bar and drink, right? And just habitual behavior. And I didn't recognize at the time that these little decisions, they just seem so rant, like mundane mm-hmm. and just kind of random. But um, it wasn't until later when I dug into the science of decision making that I realized that there were some big forces that were keeping me doing the same things that were that were keeping me in that situation. Um and though therapy helped me understand where I came from and why I was there, it wasn't until I learned how to make great choices that helped me pull out of it. I think it's such an interesting 
conversation. That's why I wanted to talk to you because I have not heard this. I mean, I consume so much like mental health content, like self-help, personal development. I'm all over the stuff. And I don't hear a lot about like making decisions and how we, we talk about habits. So I guess that's kind of a roundabout way to talk about decision making. You have to decide over and over again to form a specific habit. But what did you find? Were these like great forces that you felt were were keeping you where you were? So one, the most profound moment I've had in my personal journey to wellness was studying in graduate school, this idea of meaning making or sense making, which is this phenomenon that we all experience where we try to make meaning out of the events that happen to us. Um, It could be just something as simple as a wink. Like I could wink at you and you might think, oh, what does that mean? It could mean that I'm flirting with you. It could mean I have something in my eye. But um, but just realizing that it's such an important part of being human to create meanings around things, to kind of understand the why behind things. Like we can't just let that go. And what I realized is that in doing that, in trying to find the why behind things, we make connections between events and look for cause, cause and effect relationships that aren't necessarily there. And one of the major cause and effect relationships that I had carried with me was okay, I am going through this stuff and therefore I must be sick or I must be damaged or I must be ill or I must be a bad person. I mean, I carried that around with me for a long, long time. Like good people, healthy people, well people, they don't go through the things I go through. I'm not one of them. And it wasn't until I realized that meaning making is just this thing that everybody does. It's like your brain wants to do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe I was going through that stuff for reasons I will never understand. Like that's better to carry with you that I will never know why I had those panic episodes that kept me up all night looking at the door waiting for somebody to break in and assault me. Like, why was I thinking that? I have no idea, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm crazy. No, it it doesn't necessarily have to mean anything. I mean, it just maybe is what it is and I think once you free yourself of those meanings, you can not only free yourself of the shame and the labels, but you can also start to investigate the real source of things, like really understand scientifically what might be causing what's causing your situation, and more importantly, how to decide your way out of it. And of course, my next question is like, well, what's the science then? Because I think I've noticed myself do that with decisions or just situations and like trying to link things together. And it happens when it happens with trauma. If something significant happens, we want to make sense of it because it can be hard to sit with like I don't know and that was so random and like what other random thing can happen to me if that can happen that can be a scary thought too so it's interesting that you found comfort in the opposite way of like I actually feel better believing that than making up something in my head yeah and it's not something that comes naturally it didn't come easily and it doesn't come comfortably it just took a lot of work. And as an academic, it, it was helpful because it was like every day being drilled into like understanding like the social construction of reality and what social constructs mean mm-hmm. and how, you know, certain concepts are made up. Like we make up things all the time. Like this concept of love is an abstract concept. I mean, we make that up. And, and the reason I know this is because we all have different definitions for it. We express it different, we feel it different, and yet we all call it love. <laughs> we all call it love. And, and, you know, we all have our own interpretation of it. And um, just having that drilled into you in graduate school makes that easy. But once you cross over to the other side and, 
and do embrace the I don't know of life, it is a lot, it is a lot easier. Um, and it's a lot more clear because, like I said, because then you can start the journey of making the right choices that aren't full of bias. If you live your life believing that you're, you're just crap or you're a nobody or you know all these things that I used to carry or that needed to happen to you for some reason right the more you carry those around and believe them the further you are from understanding what's really going on yeah it's really interesting my thought that kind of parallels that that I struggle with is thinking that something needed to happen to teach me something or I had to go through it to like learn some life lesson I'm like well that's what you're saying. Like, it's just my brain saying like this, let's make sense of this crazy thing that happened to you. Yeah. And maybe it's for some greater good. And like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But let's let's get into it then. Like, what did you uncover after you went down this like rabbit hole of decision science? The more profound learnings came from understanding how efficient the brain is. I think that we overestimate the extent to which our brains like to take shortcuts and drawing conclusions about things. The brain has to be super efficient because it, it absorbs a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to do what it does. And if we expended all that energy, we wouldn't have anything left for anything else, yeah. right? So it's this really um, energy-sucking machine, and so it has to be as efficient as possible. And because it's efficient, it starts to take shortcuts, or you know, what behavioral scientists will call um, it will employ heuristics, mental shortcuts, to draw conclusions that you then base decisions on. And some of that is related to this idea of social constructs, like seeing connections between things that aren't there, but also like just patterns of thinking, like you, you start to engage in a certain type of behavior once, and then your brain, because efficiency finds that to be the path of least resistance over and Mm -hmm. over and over again. So this is going to sound really kind of maybe too simple or too straightforward, but I, um, as part of my depression and all of that stuff that I was going through, I was really suicidal for a very long period of time for, um, and, and, you know, to the point where I was going to bed every night, wishing that I was, would not wake Mm -hmm. up in the morning, right? Like that kind of thing. And then waking up in the morning, cursing that I was awake and I was alive. Um, and it didn't, it didn't occur to me until later that I realized that that was not a belief that I had to have. That was not a necessary experience that I needed to go through that it was like my brain using suicide as an option as a for a way out. It became a path of least resistance. Whenever things became hard, well, I could always kill myself. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I realized that, wow, you know, you're you're reverting to this as almost habitually as a habit. Like this is your out. This is your way when there's no other way. Like this is how you're going to go about things. Um And instead of slowing down and actually doing the hard, inefficient work of looking for other options and also the inefficient work of, you know, the energy consuming work that goes behind deciding that no suicide is never going to be an option for me again. Like just making that choice sounds so simple. It's so much harder than that. And I know it because I lived through it. Well, it's so like I just have never thought about that of how your brain it's like I don't know how to say it like you're you know the other options but it's like you're trying to get out obviously like if you're in your in that mindset I don't want to feel the way I'm feeling how do I not feel this way and some people turn to food some people turn to like other things so like what you're describing to me seems just like someone's 
brain could be having that same reaction, but it goes there, like to suicide as a way out instead of something else. Right. Which sounds like, even as I hear you say that back at me, it sounds like, wow, that sounds kind of sick and dark that that would be whatever like, brains are weird they but do. Some, right but at some point at some point as a kid that just occurred to me to be the best option like it just occurred to me that oh if I did this and I remember being 13 years old and thinking about it for the first time like if I did this all this pain would go away and it just kind of sticks right it just mm-hmm. kind of sticks with you another 13 year old might think oh if I eat this chocolate till I'm sick exactly yeah or if I starve myself or you know and then you just kind of get stuck on that yeah so something that you really talk about is making like repeat decisions and in what we we're just talking about having like repeat thoughts it could be the same thing and we know that we don't want to make that decision or hopefully like deep down you really want to be here and want to figure out how to be here but that's really hard so how did you like go about changing the thought process gosh you know that's a really really good question because i think you know they we talk in therapy people talk a lot about you know you have to hit rock bottom before you kind of you know i don't i don't know if it was so much that as much as it was recognizing that and I, and I say this a lot to my clients today, um, that what really matters isn't what's right or wrong or healthy or unhealthy. What really matters is what works. And I think it was just realizing at this, there was this moment where I realized, okay, is suicide morally right or wrong? I, I don't even want to go there. I don't know. Is, is there a, a good or bad or healthy or sick? I mean, to some, some extent, in some situations, it feels like killing yourself is the best way to go. If you're in that mindset, I believe that that's what, what that's, that seems real, for sure. That seems, that seems real. Um, but judging yourself as being, like, for me, every time I tried, every time I embraced the labels that my therapist put on me and told myself I was mentally ill, um, it just kind of kept me from finding a way out because I felt like, okay, this is just who I am. Like this is, I am ill and this is what I'm gonna experience and this is the way it's gonna be. Even though I knew there was not, there was something not quite right about it. So when I really interpreted everything in terms of is it working or not working? And it just seemed to me that every time I contemplated suicide, it didn't work. Like it wasn't working for me. Like, yeah, it wasn't something I really, I don't really want to, I didn't want to die. I just wanted the end all the, the pain to end. To stop, yeah. Yeah, and was that working and ending it? No, because I had thought that over and over and over again for so many years, and it never led me anywhere. And it didn't even lead me to follow through with it. Like, And if I had, and I thought about this a lot, this is where you have to slow, you just slow down mm-hmm. and think rationally, does, would killing myself have worked? And no. <laughs> because it wouldn't have brought about what I really wanted, which was to be alive with an end to the pain. Like I saw a lot of value of being around. I just didn't know how to get there. No. And it, I think that was the moment where it was like, okay, I got to do something that works. And even today when I advise my clients, whether it's about work or uh, relationships, um, the really the ultimate question is, is your decision making working for you? And working means what is it helping you reach your end game. So if your end game is to have a career in entertainment, are your decisions helping you get there? If your end game is to get married and have kids, are your decisions helping you get there? If your end game is to just survive without pain, are those decisions helping you get there? And 
it was just like, whoa, this is just not working. It's just not working. I've got to find, this cannot be an option. I've exhausted this as an option. Yeah. So what did it look like from that point when you, like, how do you pull yourself out of that place? I truly think like people that don't have that experience or don't understand anxiety or depression or like are just experiencing it for the first time. Like I feel like a lot of people do not know what it takes to pull yourself out of that state and that place and that mindset. So like what decisions did you start making? What helped you get momentum? So the first decisions I started to make were the decisions that were the easiest for me to make. Um, which were, I, I call them, I like to call them decisions, the decisions you make before you make your other decisions, which is those decisions that put you, that put you in a better position to make more rational choices that work for you. That includes exercising, eating well, sleeping well, um, refraining from drugs and alcohol that are, you know, recreational and that can keep you like, you know, that are depressants. So I just thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to make the right choices to get out of this state, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be this way anymore. If I'm going to get there, I have to be in a mental position to where I can actually make the choices to do that. And in order to be there, I have to be healthy. I have to be, I have to be able to think rationally. And I know now looking back, because I've done the research since I didn't do the research then, but since um, I realized that sleeplessness it exacerbates habitual impulsive decision making. I was an insomniac. I needed to cure that. Poor eating habits. If you're hungry, I was starving myself all the time. If you're hungry, you're making poor decisions, impulsive decision making. I had to remedy that. If you are under stress and anxiety you are going to make impulsive and irrational decisions. So I had to remove stressors in my life. And at that time, a lot of the stressors and triggers for me were romantic relationships or interpersonal relationships that were really intimate just for a while, just put those on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and alcohol, drugs, certain drugs. Um, I was I was drinking back then and a heavy cigarette smoker. I just decided, you know, I'm just gonna clean my act up. I became vegan. I was, you know, very healthy. I went to the gym religiously. What time frame we're looking at? Is this like, okay, I've decided to do all this or? Um, what do you mean the time frame? Like changing the habits that you just described because there's a lot of them. Like going to the gym, <laughs> curing insomnia, sleeping, eating healthy. You know, like how long are you are you feeling you- like this until you start to feel like a little bit better and lighter? Well, for me, it started right away because – I was already, it was by choosing to do those things, I was already, already choosing to be, to survive. I was choosing to live. And that choice alone was liberating to me. Like, okay, I'm making the choice to live and that empowered me to do more. And it sounds so simple. I mean, I, I, I know I've been there. I know what it's like. The way I describe it sounds so much simpler than the way it felt. Like, like it was hard. It took a long time. It took a lot of work. But I can say it's so worth it because even just a little bit of work brings huge returns. So, um, and it's not to say that I made great decisions after that. I just made a little bit better ones. I made ones that didn't lead me down that dark path as often to where now, like, you know, I never think of suicide. It's not even in my 
it's not even in my life. Yeah. Anxiety, what? Like once in a while, you know, something will happen at work and it's average. It's just average anxiety. Like don't have panic attacks. None of the symptoms that I used to have, like it's worth it. It's worth it. Life is freaking awesome. But even those little changes immediate uh, in the short term bring brought for me real immediate results. Like the feedback for me was positive because my head was clear. And more than anything, I wasn't thinking about those other things. I was thinking about, okay, this morning I'm going to get up. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do my, do school the way I need to do it. Suicide did not factor in any of that. Depression was not allowed in any of that. I just didn't have time for that. Yeah. And from the like neuroscience perspective, what do you know about how like making those, what is your brain doing when like you are making a decision that's outside of the pattern you're used to? Yeah. So I'm not a neuroscientist. I can't say that I know how the synapses are reforming, but that's my understanding of it as a lay person looking, you know, as an academic outside of neuroscience and you're just retraining your brain. You're just retraining your brain. And I think that, again, thinking about it as an illness really hurt me because it seemed inevitable that I would always have this or that it was something that I couldn't get out of or fix in myself. But retraining my brain that way, it it did cha- it changes you. You change, you fundamentally change. I don't, I don't know how else to say it except that if you think that you, see, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, treading on thin ice here because there's a lot of, there are a lot of psychiatric professionals who would disagree with me on this. Okay. Right. Who would say there's a chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. or this is just the way you are. Um, And I am not qualified enough to say that some people are not that way. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Some people might be born bipolar and will die bipolar. And no matter what they do, nothing can change that. Yeah. But I'm just saying that for me, who was diagnosed as bipolar at one point, and who clearly has none of those symptoms today, who was once diagnosed with a lot of random things that I today look back on and go, you know, I I see why they thought that, but that's not who I am. I can say that change is possible for some people, and it's worth trying. I think that's totally fair. I think we get in a sticky situation if we're not willing to say that, because it could help somebody. But it might not help everybody. And I think as long as we're naming that and saying like this is this is not like we're definitely not trying to make people feel worse if they try this and they're still like having a hard time with it. You know, it's going to happen. Everyone has such a different human experience. So I I get what you're saying. Right. But I think that mental health is a spectrum, too. So you can't have some universal piece of advice or approach to anything. No. But I will say this, whatever your situation or your condition, there, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that, that you, no matter who you are, don't have the power to decide on something, mm-hmm. like to decide something. Even if, if, even if it is, yes, I'm going to decide to trust my therapist and take these meds and do what I, you know, yeah. you have that choice. You have that power. Make it an informed choice. Don't do it like I did back when I went to therapy, just falling into it. Slide, I like to call it like the small slides when you slide slowly into something and then you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm in this situation and can't get out. Mm-hmm. Like you can make a choice. You can make your choices. You can own those choices and evaluate the quality of those choices and then pivot and change your choices, make other choices to fashion your life the way you want it to be. It's not, it's not set in stone. Yeah. And I kind of like 
the almost reframing of habits to individual choices because I think sometimes like I'm like I don't know habit I have to form this whole new habit it's a lot to think about if you're so far from the habit that you want to have or it seems really hard to make that decision of like I'm gonna work out every day or I'm gonna meditate every day or whatever it is that you wish you had a habit around I get overwhelmed thinking like I really have to incorporate this in my whole life for the rest of my life that's what I'm trying to do like that is overwhelming it is totally overwhelming the the thing that helped me override that was recognizing, well, two things. First, recognizing that I was literally doing it to survive. Like it was life or death. So the stakes were way too high for me to be complacent about yeah. it. Even though a lot of us struggle with anxiety, depression, and we aren't suicidal and it's not life or death, it is still life or death because you are fighting for the quality of life that you really want. So yeah, it's the life you want. Yeah. And if you're not fighting for that life that you want, then I mean, you're, you're not fighting life, a life or, or death struggle, right? I think for me, recognizing those stakes just made me feel like, oh gosh, like, okay, I got to, I got to really do this. And then the second part of it was forgiveness. Like it's a really powerful lesson to, to um, recognize that you are human. You're not flawed because you're damaged so much as you're, you're human and you're not going to stick to all the plans. You're not going to follow through with all the habitual changes. Um, it's not in the results that you're going to grow. It's in the fight. It's in that struggle to change. It's in, again, like the process of slowing down, thinking things through. It's the act of making the choices it's the act of being um, resistant to social in influences. It's that it's that the act of choosing that is actually much more powerful, a, a, a life changer than, oh, look at me. I actually ate paleo for, you know, for mm -hmm. a year. Like, yeah, that's not that's not really yeah. what it's about. It's the choices. It's that it's it's engaging in the choices that makes the difference, in my opinion. And again, like I'm not psychotherapist. I'm just mm -hmm. a decision scientist who has experienced this firsthand. It builds confidence. We know that about habits yep. and making it's it's owning. It's really like owning your own life. That again is like a very simple thing to say, but when it comes down to it, that's really what you're doing. Instead of saying like life is happening to me day to day and this is how I'm reacting to it. It's like this is what I do with my day. Exactly. And what happens when you own your life, your life suddenly has value that it didn't have before, which is also a very powerful thing to recognize. Yes. So to kind of bring it full circle, what is something like to boil it down, if you can, what would you want people to understand about decision science? That having the agency to make decisions, like being able to make your own choices is a is a game changer. Recognizing that and acting on that is a huge game changer. But you have to know how to make decisions well. So I highly recommend, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot, little time and a lot of stress, and but I highly recommend really understanding and exploring how decisions go wrong. Even if it's just reading stuff on the internet about you know, what's confirmation bias mean? Or, mm -hmm. you know, what do behavioral economists really do? Or um, what does sociology say about how social, the sense of social belonging makes us do bad things that we don't want to do, like, you know, protect our abusers or, or whatever else we had, tend to do? 
Um, the more you understand about how people tick and how the world works, the better you'll be able to make decisions. Um, I have a website called yournextdecision.com and there are some tips there. And if you subscribe, I send letters to my subscribers every week. That does exactly that. Like just helps educate people on aspects of decision-making that can help them actually make the right decisions when they choose. Because sometimes when we choose, we can also mess up. Mm-hmm. Not just the act of choosing, it's the act of choosing well. And that's a lifelong process of learning that. And that can be hard because it counteracts what we just said. So if we're saying like, making decisions is empowering and makes you feel in control and like confident with your life. What happens if you do that and you make a poor decision and it ends out badly for you and like you own that for yourself? That is that is an opportunity to learn something. I think that is where you have to recognize that life is sort of, and this is part of my, um, my method, I suppose, when I, when I talk to my clients is that life is really an experiment it's not about getting it right or winning or being a certain way. It's just about, it's a process of kind of developing and learning. So, and I've made a ton of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you stop every moment in that mistake and you try to unpack it and recognize what went wrong and then, you know, carry that with you, and not repeat that, that is a great opportunity. I mean, it's failure is where you grow. Failure is where you learn. Um, success happens once you've failed enough. And yeah, at that it's... point, there's really only two options. Like you are either going to learn from it or you're going to tend towards like a not great place. And right. just feeling, yeah, feeling like that's who you are or that that's the decisions that you make and you it's like a trust thing like maybe you feel like you can't trust yourself anymore and so it's like recognizing the different thoughts and angles that come up and then again choosing which one you're going to listen to totally and what you're talking about is meaning making like oh i messed up i'm a failure i messed up i'm not trustworthy anymore no maybe that's not the case maybe you just made a mistake. Maybe the information you had at the time you made your decision wasn't sufficient. And next time you have to get more information. Maybe you trusted someone else and didn't really make your own choice, but thought you did, but you really just kind of went along with the crowd. Like that's, um, yeah, I mean, you, you don't learn a lot when you try to create meaning about around your mistakes in a way that's negative, reflects negative on yourself. Yeah. It's interesting that our minds want to do that. A lot of it is just overriding your natural human tendency, which is so hard to do, but it can be done. Yeah, and it requires the knowledge, like to understand that that's what's happening. Yeah, which is fun to learn. I mean, to me, that anyway, it was just it's fun to learn how this works. You know. Yeah, I really love that more and more conversations are happening in the mental health space about like how our brains actually work and our central nervous systems and how they play a part in like our overall well-being and that's been like a huge game changer for me to understand like the state that I'm in throughout the day and how to control that and it's it is life-changing yeah exactly exactly well amazing where can people learn more about your work I know you mentioned your newsletter but is there anywhere else that we can point people to to learn more about what you're doing Yep. Just go to yournextdecision.com and you can learn more about me. There's an advice column there. Um, If you have any 
um, you know, if you need advice, I um, subscribers often send me questions and I'll, you know, randomly select questions to answer and post them on my advice blog. So that's a way to get free to get some free advice from me. Um, but it's yournextdecision.com. That is it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something from it. I hope you reflect on it. I hope you implement something into your life. That is always my hope with these conversations because I learn a lot from listening to other people and their perspectives. And that's what we're here to do. Hope you have a great week. Hang in there if you're also having a busy season like me. Take some time for yourself and to enjoy the magic of the Christmas season, the holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Um, just find those little moments, you know, when the, the nights are dark, the air is cool, and hopefully you are snuggled up and cozy and feeling grateful. That's what I'm going to be focusing on. Anyway, I've talked enough. I will talk to you in the next episode. Oh yeah, and go ahead and leave a review if you haven't already. Just five stars. You don't even have to write anything if you don't want to. Share this episode with a friend, whether that's a reshare on Instagram, tell someone about it verbally, text it to them, share the link, whatever you got to do. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, bye.